0: Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Nola Nash, author of the new book, Crescent City Sin. Nola, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Great. If someone hasn't heard about your novel, Crescent City Sin, yet, how would you describe the novel?
1: It is a gritty look at the underbelly of New Orleans, as well as the high society of the New Orleans French Quarter in 1830s. So we've got magic, we've got some mystery, some voodoo, some murder, along with some high society folks who are finding themselves in parts of the city they wouldn't normally go. It is the sequel to the first book, Crescent City Moon, and the series together is a kind of, it's a dark and paranormal adventure through the city of New Orleans.
0: And do you remember the original impetus or idea that led you to write the Crescent City novels?
1: I think it was mostly wanting to combine everything that I love about the city of New Orleans. I've always been drawn to that city. I grew up in Baton Rouge. So anything that was unique and interesting, it seemed like it was there. And being as old as the French Quarter is and as many of the original buildings or nearly original buildings that are there, when you walk around the city, you always think, gosh, what stories could this place tell? And so in my head, I started inventing the stories long before I really understood all of the historical stories that were really there. And I wanted to really bring that to life and kind of combine everything historical as well as the magic and the voodoo and all of that just deep, rich culture that's in that city, kind of just weave it together into one series and one book. It was a, what would happen if I put all of this together? And I was really proud of of what came out of that. It's been a lot of fun to write. And lots of other folks seem to really be enjoying that walk through the city, being able to find those places that when they've been to New Orleans, they can go, oh, gosh, I've been there. I've been to that cathedral. I've been to this part of the city. And it's fun for them to be able to, to take that walk with me and maybe learn some things about the city they didn't know, even if they have been there.
0: That's great. It's interesting. I I think that I've been to New Orleans many times. I lived in New I lived in Louisiana after college in New Iberia. Mm-hmm. But I've been to oh, New yeah. Orleans many times. It's it's interesting that for most like Americans, even if they've never been to the city, they've probably heard about Bourbon Street and like the the culture there, but it's really a unique city if if someone's never been there. It's unlike any other American city. You said you grew up in Baton Rouge. Did you grow up going to New Orleans?
1: All the time. If we wanted to go to a big event, it was there. Lots of festivals there. I liked to just go people watch. I was in theater. I grew up doing community theater, and it's a great place if you're looking for mannerisms or the way somebody moves and talks, it's a great place to just go people watch and refine those characters that you're going to put on stage. And I think a lot of that translates into the writing too, because it, it gives me that sense of those people that are there and all of the, the many different types of characters that are in that city. And I always just loved it for that. I loved going down there and just being part of that culture. It was only an hour away and it was never really a long mm-hmm. trip. It's a day trip. Down to New Orleans and we would do that. We'd get up early in the morning and drive down, spend the day there, and you know, drive back pretty late at night most of the time, especially by the time I was in high school and college. We were coming back (laughs) really late. Yeah. It was a great place to go and hang out. There was always something interesting to do there. It didn't matter how many times you'd been to the city. You could always find something, whether it was those old standbys that you absolutely could not leave the city without doing. Or you wanted to go try something new, go to a different festival, go to you know new places that you hadn't tried before. There's always something unique and different and new to go explore about that very old city.
0: Sure. What kind of research did you do for your Crescent City novels and your new one Crescent City Sin?
1: I did a lot of hands-on research. Obviously, I do a lot of reading and lots of books about not only the city and its history, but also the magic and the voodoo that is down there, and I wanted to get all of that. So it was very important to me to do a lot of research. Even though I felt like I knew the city, I knew a lot of the stories. I didn't want to have my readers distracted by anything that was historically inaccurate. It's fiction, so we take a few licenses here, but the, getting the history first before I wove the, the fiction in was really important to me. The same thing with the magic and the voodoo. And those are two different things. And so that's why I say them differently. They're they're very different. And anybody that's familiar with New Orleans knows that those two things are very different. But I had some help in that area as well. I had a couple of friends who help me out with some of those things. One of them is a psychic and a medium and a witch down in New Orleans. And so she helps me with a lot of the magical things, the seances, all of those things that are really important to get the details from a magical perspective. I have a voodoo priestess who helps me with some of those things as well to get the voodoo. And they can cross, they cross and blur the lines a little bit on those practices as I'm researching. But Anytime I have any questions about those things, I I, I know I can actually call them or message them and say, hey, this is what I want happening here. Is this something that would happen this way? Or how do I make this real? Getting those things right and getting them more accurate than the Hollywood portrayals actually makes them more interesting. And to me, even a little more frightening because those things done accurately Or things that anyone can do. You don't have to have magical powers. You don't have to have special tools, especially the voodoo. It was normal people, everyday people doing things and having these rituals done with things that were all around them that were just handy. And so it makes the magical side of things way more believable when you do it authentically. Because if anybody can do it, and it's possible and so it really helps you to suspend the disbelief about some of the other more fantastical things that are in the series as well and I learned how to do a lot of those things using you know those teachers that I had as well as books and just practicing with different people and I learned how to read tarot I learned how to dress and bless a candle and carve it and all of those things we had a seance so I knew how that would work and all of these things that that Our characters do in the book, I was doing as well, because they're very sensory experiences. You have to be able to bring in the smells and the feels and the sounds of all of these things. And if you're just reading it in a book, you're not going to get that as an author to be able to convey that to readers who most likely have no background in any of this. this is new to them. And so, I wanted it to be as sensory immersive for them through the book as it is when you're actually doing those things, so it's very important in researching that I had those experiences as well, not just looking things up in a book.
0: Sure. Are you writing or planning to write more Crescent City novels?
1: I am I've got the third book is plotted out. I haven't actually started it yet, I need to start working on that one I'm working on. Uh, getting some other projects ready to go and getting them out to agents and publishers and things. But I do have a third one that is, it is outlined, it's well outlined. <laughs> I have a general idea of where it's going to go. I'm not really a big outliner, but I do know where I want my characters to go and what the, the central crux of the story is. So there will be a third one. Crescent City's Soul will be that one. So there will at least be that third one. There may be more. And one of those things that as I write, the stories tell me how many of them there should be. So we'll see by the time we get to the third one, if I feel like there's legitimately a fourth one there. I would never force a series to be more books than it needed to be. I feel like you know, they tell you when they're done. So we'll see. But I know there's at least the third one there.
0: That's great. What was your writing journey that led you to writing and publishing your first novel?
1: It was a long process. It was something that this was actually the second book that I wrote. The first one needed a lot. To learn through the first one. This isn't great. There's some things I need to refine here and learn how to do a little bit better. Um, I was an English and history double major in college, so I always loved the written word. I always loved history, historical fiction, and I knew that's what I wanted to write. But I was also drawn to the magic and and mystery, and paranormal. So. I wanted to make sure that I I blended all those together, but I wanted to blend them together well. So it took some practice. It took some time getting all of that together. But, you know, once you get into it, it's hard for me to stop. Like I really had those bursts of writing that I work on and get that novel hammered out the way I want it. And I actually found my publisher through a a Twitter pitch contest. (laughs) So not necessarily the, the traditional way there. But it's the modern way, and that's how it it came out in the world there. And it's been a a very interesting journey, and I've learned an awful lot that as a new and emerging author, you don't always know. You learn sometimes the long way and the hard way, and it's been fun to get to be part of the author community. I've been very surprised at how supportive that community is can be. And gosh, it's, it's so much fun being out there meeting authors, meeting the readers and just being part of that world out there. It's it's been a lot of fun and very rewarding to not only get my work out, but to be part of the community that, that is out there doing the same thing.
0: That's great. I know that you said earlier that you don't outline extensively. What is the writing process for you when you're working on a novel or story? I
1: scrapbook it, that's probably the only writer out there that does this, but I, I actually things. I do have these kind of small, like five by seven size art books, like a, a blank sketchbook. And mm-hmm. I pull my research, I pull pictures, I pull all this stuff together. And I, I put it in a scrapbook and here's the things that I, I need to use historically. Here's the things magically that I need to be looking at. Here's some pictures that are going to inspire some of the descriptions and things like that. And I literally put it together in a scrapbook. And then I start I start actually outlining a little bit and I put it in post-it notes. And, and I know I could write it in pencil and erase it. I'm too OCD for that. So I put it on post-it notes, whatever I think is going to be in each chapter. And then I can move them around. And take the mm-hmm. custom notes out, throw them away completely if I decide I don't want to do that anymore. So it's it's all scrapbooked. It's so weird, I know, but it's funny. It's my artsy crapsy side meets my writer side.
0: Sure. I think everyone has a unique process. So what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels?
1: I would say have lots of people read it. Make sure that you're open to Feedback and suggestions. And I'm an English teacher as well. So I tell my students this all the time let other people read what you're writing and listen to their feedback because so often we think that we have conveyed what, it is, what is in our heads onto the paper. We think we've got that. We've poured ourselves onto the written page. But oftentimes it doesn't come across the way that we think it, it did to the reader. And so if we don't have other people take a look at it and people we trust to tell us the truth, not just, oh, that was great. I loved it. I'm looking forward to it being a book. Okay, that's great. We need validation.
2: But the true help comes from the
1: people who are going to tell you, I, I didn't really understand this part of it. Yeah, I know it probably makes sense to you, but I don't understand what she's doing with that candle there. or I don't know what that particular word is, that if it's a term for something, but I feel like I need more explanation there. Or this character and what they were doing was really cool. I'd like to see more of that. So when you find people who are, are willing to give you that kind of constructive criticism, it's vital to listen to what they have to say and not close yourself off and go, it's my baby. How dare you insult my baby? Make sure that your baby is as wonderful as it can be when it makes its way out into the world. And finding those people who will help you do that and listening to them is critical.
0: And so what have you done to, to get a group of people together who read your work?
1: I've got probably my biggest champion and my worst critic of all is my mother. She is. <laughs> I love it because she will cheerlead me, but she will cheerlead me and at the same time go, yeah, but I didn't really get that. Okay. <laughs> what part of it did you not? get? Or she'll say, that was great, but boy, did you rush it? <laughs> all right. <long. laughs> Slow down there. And she's been that way my entire, life. she did theater as well with me. And so I'm used to that kind of feedback from her. And she's used to getting that kind of stuff from me when we would do theater it was I'd take notes for her when she was on stage and then vice versa. So we're used to that feedback. But I also would have some of my students read it and you know, I'd hand them a chapter and say, hey, there's a part of this that I'm not sure about. Will you read that chapter and see if you're feeling the same thing I feel? And I would let them tell me without me telling them what it was that maybe was hanging me up just a little bit. And so I'd let them as a reader come to me and tell me. And I think as their English teacher, they really liked being part of that process too. They'd let them see that the books don't just magically appear on the shelves. There's a lot of things that go on before they get to a book that they would read it's fun having that group and kind of pulling that group together i have now that i've been out there in the world a little bit more i have more author friends and we read for each other and things like that and we give each other that support and that criticism that that you just desperately need to have because when you put that book out you really do want it to be everything that it can be and i know there's a lot of criticism of people who rush books out and they're, they may be publishing four or five books a year. That's great if they can do that. I can't do that. I'm a nitpicker. I'm going to sit and nitpick my manuscript to death. I can't just break mm-hmm. them out like that. I would make myself insane. Some people can, and I I am in awe of those people. But I'm a nitpicker and I, I like other authors who are nitpickers to really take a look at my work and make sure that that it's it's as clean as it can be when it goes out there, whether it's punctuation or actually getting that scene to where it plays out the way
0: that I want it to. Got it. What novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed?
1: I just finished Mexican Gothic. Which was really cool. I, I love gothic stuff. I have, I'm a huge Edgar and Poe fan, and I write the dark race. I really did enjoy Mexican Gothic. It was a gift from my son's girlfriend for Christmas, and she's an English major, and she's like, "Yeah, I read this. It's really good." I'm like, okay, and I did really enjoy Mexican Gothic. I have been reading YA series, to fantasy series written by Chris Humphreys, who writes some YA fantasy, but he also writes historical fiction, and a more adult fantasy as well. But it's the tapestry trilogy that I've been reading mm-hmm. of his, which is a lot of fun for me. The first one is The Hunt of the Unicorn. Then there is, what was the other one? Gosh, no, have Donald Blank on. Oh, but anyway, start with The Hunt of the Unicorn. That's the one you want to start with. But he's based it on these unicorn tapestries that are in the Cloisters Museum in New York and built a, a fantasy series around them. So that was really cool. All these fabulous beasts from griffins to unicorns and things like that. So I tend to go for books that are a bit more darker, historically driven, have some historical or mythical, mythological elements to it. Those are the things that, that I'm typically drawn to. And of course, being a historical fiction and a history and English major, anything that Philippa Gregory writes, I absolutely love her books as well. <laughs> She's phenomenal. One of the best.
0: Great. Where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels and your latest novel, Crescent City Sin?
1: Sure. I am. I have my website, nolanash.com. I'm on Facebook. I have a Facebook street team group called Nola's Second Line, which is a New Orleans thing. And we do a lot of fun things over there as well. I also have, i on Instagram and Twitter, as at writes on Instagram and Twitter, that I also host a weekly show that Annie McDonald, who is part of the Right Review, she's a book reviewer, and she and I have put this show together. Nanny produces it for me. And I host, it's called The Second Line Show. It's on Wednesday nights at 7 Central, 8 Eastern. And I interview groups of authors that Annie curates the groups together to make sure that they, they all have some great things that we can talk about, great things in common. And it's an hour-long show. That we do on Wednesday nights and we talk books, we talk writing, we talk about New Orleans history and mystery, ghost stories, things like that. It's a whole lot of fun. And that airs on my group, on Facebook, on The Right Review, on my personal Facebook page, as well as live on YouTube on my YouTube channel, Nola Nash Entertainment. And we take questions and comments from the viewers and we just have just a great time. That's all places that that's my social little collection right there, but I've had the honor lately of being invited to some other interviews and podcasts and third round around too. So I'm sure if you search for them, you can find them, but hanging out with me on social media, we do have a good time. I don't take myself too seriously. And so we have some fun.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Nola Nash, author of the new book, Crescent City Sin. The novel is on sale now. So go buy a copy and Nola, thanks for doing this interview.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Now, stay tuned as Nola Nash reads from her novel, Crescent City Moon.
1: Crescent City Moon, book one in the Crescent City series by Nola Nash. Chapter one. Storm clouds skulked across the sky, snarling at the moon and stars as they swallowed them whole. Below, in the descending darkness, the city shuddered. The hanged man looked up at Zaily, smiling and complacent in his bringing of doom, as thunder rumbled over the French Quarter rooftops, rattling the panes of glass in the parlor windows. As the sound sent a shiver through her, she could have sworn the hanged man winked. Tarot cards had always been a game to her and her friends, deliciously taboo among the society set, but something was decidedly different about this spread. They were just cards on a table but they carried a weight she'd never felt before. With them was a feeling of finality. What does it mean? Lisette asked, leaning over the cards. No matter how many times Xaeli explained the meanings in the pictures, Lisette's sweet, simple mind could never hold on to the information. Even though Lisette had no idea what lay in the cards, her laughing amber eyes lost their luster in Xaeli's silence. Expectation hung thick between the two childhood friends, broken only by the sound of the raindrops tapping on the house and the hiss of wind outside. The first one is for your past, the sun. It represents warmth, love, and vitality. From the settee of the corner, Lisette's sister Celeste laughed and tucked a curl behind her ear that escaped the bun at the nape of her neck. Who cares about her past? Leafing lazily through the daily newspaper, Celeste was oblivious to the gathering sense of doom at the table. So, is she going to fall hopelessly in love with the man of her dreams? Zaily's graceful fingers touched to the last card on the table. The future. The hanged man. Letting go. Sacrifice. And martyrdom. Another shiver raised up her spine. Why should such a silly game make her feel like this? Slowly, she answered, Your future. The hanged man. He's a funny looking thing, Celeste said, tossing the paper aside and sashaying over to look. The man on the card hung from a rope by one leg, with his other leg crossed at the angle over the knee of his straight leg like an upside down number four. His arms were folded over his chest, as if hanging there was merely an acrobat stunt. Confident, yet unnatural in his position, defiantly pleasant. Zaylee, what does it mean? Lizette asked quietly, ignoring the teasing of her older sister. It means you'll meet a mysterious young man, Xaeli answered. The lies settled in her chest, cold and heavy. You should be easy enough to spot hanging upside down like that, Celeste laughed again, sending a ripple through the tension. This time, Xaeli forced a laugh, too, as she gathered the cards quickly into the deck and shuffled them. Even as the tarot cards slid through her hands, they felt different. They seemed to tug at her palms, wanting to be seen. She needed a distraction. Look at us sitting around playing fortune teller when there's a party to play on. Lisette seemed happy to be carried along with the change in subject. It was as though she sensed a shadow pass over her friend over the last spread that made her anxious, Azalee, to get away from the cards and on to something less mysterious. It'll be the party of the season. Julian Chaval's daughter doesn't turn 21 every day. It'd be strange if he did, Celeste tucked, stretched out on the settee, her long legs draped over the arm of the chair in a most unladylike way. Feminine propriety was a concept completely lost on the girl. Celeste honestly, Lisette scolded. What? Who's here to care how I sit? Her sister demanded with a dismissive wave of her hand. Lisette shook her head full of wayward dark curls and settled into an armchair near the desk where Zaley was rifling through the drawers looking for something. Aha, Zaley exclaimed, and pulled out a crumpled paper. Aging wood of the desk chair creaked in objection at even her delicate weight as she sat. I had a list of all the party preparations, but of course I can't find it. I'll have to start over. She pressed on the edges of the page with the palm of her hand, trying to insist that they lay flat. It was a useless effort. The paper was as disheveled as her thoughts. Celeste tugged her hair out of the bun and let her auburn waves fall over her shoulders as she took shook them loose. For the third time, if I recall, Celeste was right. It seemed that lately anything to do with Zayli's twenty-first birthday party would missay. Zayli knew it was just carelessness from all the excitement, but it was beginning to get irritating. Let me keep the list this time, so it won't go running off. Celeste said, lazily winding a strand of hair around her finger. (laughs) Saley laughed. I don't think so. You'd have glasses, cases of champagne, a full orchestra, and acrobats added to the list. Well, of course. How else will dear Lisette ever meet her hanging man? There was that chill again, as thunder rolled over the roof punctuating the dread she felt. Xaeli dismissed it and focused her efforts on recreating the list for the third time.